Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, ahoy, welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Colette Dartford. Her debut was shortlisted for an Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. Her second was a Kindle bestseller for 18 months. And she's got a new one out, it's called The Mortification of Grace Wheeler. And for this, she's made an interesting decision. Uh, She's gone her own way. She's broken from the traditional method of publishing and signed up to an industry disruptor who is helping her self-publish. We talk about why all she needs to write is a quiet space and a laptop. Also, how much expert help that she gets along the way. And she gets really into the big reasons behind looking at self-publishing. There's also the issue of creative control. Because uh, very naively, I didn't realise that authors have little or no say over their book covers, how their book will look. And um, so i not wishing to be in any way critical, but I wouldn't have chosen my first two book covers. They wouldn't have been my choice. Uh, this, this book that's coming out in August, I'm delighted with my book cover. Um, I think it's more sophisticated And also it is a better reflection of the book, the story, the characters um, itself. That is all on the way with Colette Dartford in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. Thank you for finding us. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look inside an author's working day. Finding out how they get an idea from their head onto the page and how they plan their day and their life and their workspace to get it done. There's a little bit more in that today. It's how she properly got it onto the shelves. We'll talk about that in a sec. Now, Colette's debut, Learning to Speak America, was shortlisted for an Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award. Her second, An Unsuitable Marriage, was a Kindle bestseller for 18 months. The new one is The Mortification of Grace Wheeler. It's all about Grace, who is married to a much older man, and everything changes when her only child goes off to university. Suddenly she feels completely alone. Uh, It is a real empty nester. And looking for some excitement, uh, very alienated in her marriage, she's drawn into an affair with a terrible price to pay. Now for it, she's self-published. She's done it with an industry disruptor, really, taking on a lot of advice on how to do it, how to market it, how to do the PR and all of that side of things. We talk about why. 
why she's done it, why she wanted more creative control over what the books look like and how they're pushed and sold and marketed and priced online. I think you'll find it really interesting. It's a real different avenue to getting your book out there. I think many people uh, perhaps have a view of self-publishing because there are so many books that are out there at times. Uh, But I think if you can do it in the right way, it's a real brilliant avenue to getting your book on the shelf. And Colette is doing it as a complete experiment. She says she'll do it this time, see how it goes. If it doesn't quite work, she will look back at going into the more, quote, quote, traditional style of publishing. We also talk about how much help she gets before sending it off to her agent, why she stopped doing detailed summaries of her characters, and why all she needs to write is a quiet space. There's a lot in this episode. I really think you'll enjoy it, and we get into it with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Well, it varies. So um, it can be different things on different days. So, for example, at the moment, I'm in rural France. Um, So uh, I've got my next manuscript on the table in front of me, Um, not really doing much work on it, because that's the thing. When you're promoting one book, um, it's quite difficult to focus on the the next project because you have to keep stopping to come back to the, the previous project. To, to, to do work on that. But um, generally I write from my home in Bath and um, once I'm sitting down with my laptop, I don't like to be disturbed. So I tend to write on my own and uh, that's how I work. Uh, so uh, take me to your office, wherever it is you write in, in Bath. What's the setup of it? How does it look? What, what's creative around you? Um. Do you know that's a very good question because I don't have an office. I sit at uh, I sit at the the dining room table, <laughs> and I, I don't really need creative things around me. Um, for me, the creativity comes from inside. It's kind of from my head, and so um, I, I don't need particular sort of prompts, visual prompts, if if that's what you're asking. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm fairly I, I can pretty much write anywhere. I think. Now, the dining room table is interesting because I know you've said that you can write anywhere, but it's a place of, you know, practicality, isn't it? Normally you're sitting there eating with your family, whoever it is. Yeah, you've got to like work there. What's on the dining room table when you are writing? Do do you have like maybe a notebook nearby, something to just help you out? Um, Yeah, I I obviously have my laptop. Um, A big mug of tea. That's essential. Nothing happens without a big mug of tea. Um, I do have a notebook. I don't tend to make many notes. Gosh, this makes me sound, um, I don't know, kind of strange because I'm sure you've uh, interviewed lots of people who really have a lot more to contribute to this this sort of this question. Um, no, honestly, I keep pretty much everything in my head. It's a busy head. Um what what are you writing on? Is it a laptop? And what are, we get very nerdy here. What uh, what writing software are you using? Uh, I just use. Um, I've got an iMac, a MacBook rather, and I I just use the Word software for that. I'm, I'm very unsophisticated. In when well, what about fonts then? Oh God, uh, Times New Roman point twelve. There we go. I know the answer to that one. <laughs> That is, that is the, uh, 
it's fairly unsophisticated, I've got to say, but that's that's fine. That, that's that's the way you that's the way you do it. Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've got um, other writer friends, and I find when we talk about these things that uh, friends uh, who write crime or write mysteries or write thrillers, which which tend to be quite plot driven and and the and have a lot of threads to plots and a lot of things that have to tie up and you have to sort of create a lot of suspense and drama and then a big reveal. Um, they tend to use uh, various software packages that, that keep things, um, you know, that keep all those different threads together. But because um, I don't write crime, I sort of write, I suppose, uh, what does my agent call it? Uh, women's commercial fiction or women's quality fiction. Um, I, I'm more character driven. So, you know, it's, I, I don't find I need the sophisticated software for that. And you say that you can write anywhere. Whereabouts do you write? If you're finding your, if you're finding the words maybe hard when you're in your dining room in Bath, do you ever take yourself out, head to a cafe or something? Yeah, I, t- I take my dog for a walk. To be honest, I mean, you've, had, you've, you've made a good point there because um, I don't mind doing editing in cafes and busy places. I don't like doing um, the first draft uh, with, with noise around me, actually. That, that's a good point. I do like quiet for that uh, because, it, because everything is in my head and I like to be not distracted. But, but once I've got, a, you know, a chunk of, uh, a, a chunk of, words down I can it's quite nice to go out and be in a more sociable setting and just go through with my pen and and make notations and 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 stuff like that because otherwise you know it's quite a solitary thing being a writer now you've said that you you don't really plot that much but you you don't need to because you're not writing intricately crafted crime novels for instance yours is a more character-driven piece but how, how how are you keeping track of who your characters are? Is there a space on uh, on your laptop, maybe a, a notes document that has everything you know about person A, character B? Yeah, that, do you know when I wrote my first novel, that was that was how I worked because I you know I'm self taught. I don't have a master's in creative writing. Um, I didn't study English at university. I studied politics, so. Um, when I wrote my first novel, I did sit down and I made, um, I did summaries of every chapter. Um, I did summaries of each character. Um, and I find that I found that was very helpful. I don't know whether I've just got better the more I've done it, because I don't sort of need to do that now. Um, you know, I can retain the characters uh, very easily in my head. Although, you know, it's interesting because, um, you do find, I find when I write characters, you sort of think, almost think of them as people because you know them so well. You know, you can spend hours a day thinking about them, writing about them, putting them in different situations, uh, seeing how they react, put them in conversations with other people. How would they, you know, how, how do they converse? What's their style of talking? And, um, and I don't necessarily think that's stuff that trans- translates very well onto onto notes i think it's better to keep that in my head but having said that with the my latest novel which comes out in august when it went to the the editor the publishers and the editor had a, a look at it she um she identified a timeline issue that i had completely missed um and also one other editor had missed so you know perhaps i should have plotted that one a little bit more deftly <laughs> 
Uh, you, you said that you, at one point for your first novel, you were writing these notes about your characters, but now you're on your third novel. What was the moment when you, I guess, stopped doing that as thoroughly? You, you stopped pre-planning who your characters were as thoroughly as you are now? Yeah, I think... Um... I think for, probably for my second novel, I did make notes, but they there were more characters actually in my second novel. So so the notes were just a sort of a, an aid memoir uh, to me. But with this with this third novel, there are I think there are actually slightly fewer characters, and there is sort of about two families and and sort of two a sort of external people who aren't in that family, um, and so. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't find I needed to particularly uh, go into much detail notes-wise. I was just, it just came to me as I wrote. I'd quite like to write first thing in the morning. And having said that, I sit at my dining table. Sometimes I just start writing in bed with my first mug of tea because it's, it, I find my head's quite clear then before the day rushes in with all the stuff that the day is going to bring. Um, so I like to get a couple of hours in then, uh, and then I, of course I have to get up and get on and, you know, do, do things that normal people do, go shopping, walk the dog, talk to people, pay bills. Um, and then I would sit down again, probably after lunch, um, have another good few hours, um, and then, you know, wrap, wrap it up for the day. But the thing when you're into, when I'm into writing a novel, it, it's never, it never really leaves my head. So even though I might be out walking my dog or I might be preparing dinner, it's it's always there. When you start your day um, and, and you say that the novel is always there, how quick are you at getting straight into it? When you sit down at your dining table, do you know instantly, here's what I need to do today? Yeah, yeah, I pretty, I pretty much do. Um, yes, I, I do. That 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 sort of come that bit of it comes quite easily, which I always find amazing because there's no you know grand plotting that you've said. So how do you know what's coming next that day? Oh, that's a good question. I suppose um, I have the overarching story in my head. What's what what is this book about? What's what's the story here? And then of course you have to break it down into chapters. And so you know I tend to think about the chapter that I'm working on. And, and try and get that chapter down. And then I would go back, um, you know, with with fresh eyes, maybe the next day or the next morning um, and, and work through it and, and figure out, does that work? Have I done that well? Have I, you know, um, have I done everything I needed to do in that chapter in order to move on to the next chapter? And what's the aim for that? Aside from plotting, what's the aim for the day? What are you happy with writing when you close your laptop at the end of it? Yeah, that's a very good question. I know that you've interviewed a lot of writers and I don't know how many of them would say that they're ever particularly happy when they finish writing for the day because it's it's a process. And, you know, uh, your first draft is, uh, is, is, it can often be quite bad really because it's, it's just you telling the story to yourself. It's your, it's your first shot at it. And I'm so impressed when I meet other authors and, and, you know, they write one or two drafts and it's done. I mean, I, I write many drafts. So for my first novel, it was the 10th draft, the 10th iteration of that novel that was actually published. And for my second novel, it was the sixth. 
And for this novel, it's the fourth. So I think I'm getting better. But I don't think I would ever get down to, was it Jack Kerouac who did like one draft and that was it? The publisher said, yeah, brilliant. I could have got that completely wrong. But, but that would be impressive. Uh, how do you keep going with that? I, I always think like when you're writing a debut and it's, it's taking your 10th draft to keep going, how, how do you persevere and not just completely lose the will to, to write? Why are you carrying on if you know that your first draft is going to be pretty turgid? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it was my, I think my sixth or seventh draft that got me an agent. And it was and then my eighth draft was what went to the publisher. And then they wanted, as as always happens. So it wasn't like redrafting, but it you know, there were certain editorial things that that needed reworking. And then of course you have your copy edits and your proofreads. So I'm counting those to some extent as drafts because you're making changes. So I suppose what I'm saying is the finished article that goes into the book, that this is the book, then you know, there are it's a process on quite a big process on the way. Uh, but I'm not skilled enough and I would never expect to be able to write one or two drafts and that would be good enough, um, you know, to be published. That's even more interesting than for your first draft. If you've written it six times before getting an agent, how are you knowing what to change just yourself between drafts three and four and then five? Like if you're not getting that much, yeah, uh, I, I guess, expert interference. Yeah, but I do. I, I do get expert interference. So so my background is in academia and that one of the principles, is, as I'm sure you know, is uh, peer review. So when you've written a paper or you've done a piece of research, you it goes to your colleagues, your more eminent colleagues, in fact, who will tell you um, think what works with it, what doesn't work with it, what you need to do again. And so I've taken that, uh, that sort of principle, that process into fiction. And so when I've got something that I think is sort of holding together reasonably well, I send it to um, a beta reader who has become a friend. And, uh, you know, she's an editorial consultant, a, a literary consultant. She has a background of 20 years uh, with working with one of the big five uh, as a commissioning editor, one of the big five publishing houses, and now she's freelance. So I send my drafts to her and she will give me, especially early on, maybe 20 pages of feedback. Uh, this works, that doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. And and I'm very uh, amenable to constructive criticism. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm hungry to hear her thoughts and, and I will then redraft accordingly. As you publish more and more novels, how much better do you find yourself being, a, being your own expert advice, if, if that makes sense? Yeah. It, it, that's, again, it's a very good question because it's such a subjective thing, isn't it? Um, funnily enough, um, I've been, uh, I was asked to um, produce a short story for uh, a, a magazine as part of the sort of promotional campaign for, for this new novel. And um, I, I had in my, just in one of my folders, I had a short story I'd written, I don't know, for three or four years ago that had never gone anywhere. I'd never sent it anywhere to, for anything to happen with it. So I thought, you know, I'll just have a look at that. And, and I did, and I made quite a few uh, tweaks, shall we say. Not, not major changes, but I did tweak it. I did find better ways to express some of the sentences. Um, I put one sentence in at the end 
that wasn't there before that I think wrapped it up better. So I think, yeah, you, you just get better all the time. It's like anything else that you do a lot, you improve. Is there a word count for the day? I don't do that. You know, I'm impressed by people that do. I know uh, having read Stephen King on writing, I think he said he sits down in the morning and he does 2000 words and that's it, you know. Uh, and Jeffrey Archer sits at his desk at eight in the morning till 12 or 10 or something. And that's him done for the day. I'm very impressed by that, the discipline of it. But um, that isn't how I work. Maybe it's because, you know, I have a family. I have uh, uh, you know, a demanding labradoodle. I don't know. Maybe I'm making excuses. Maybe I should sit down and do 2,000 words every day. That would be quite impressive, actually. Maybe that will be what I'll do from now on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Colette in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show, if you're getting any really useful tips and tricks along the way, I hope you are. I hope you're getting a lot of advice. That's the point of the podcast. If it's really going somewhere, especially today's episode about self-publishing, if it's helping you out, um, you can help us out. You can support the show, patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. For that, you get our eternal thanks. There is merch, there is bonus podcast content, and there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. So if you're self-publishing, if you'd like to get some PR on this show, if you'd like us to talk about your novel, the one that you've worked on, the one that you've uh, looked at a way to publish it, the one that you've put into the market, the one that you've spent your hard-earned cash getting onto the shelves, we could talk about it if you sign up at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. It doesn't take a lot, just a few dollars a month really keeps us going. It can make your book sponsor this show. All you need to do to help us out is to get involved, become a backer, join the writing community at patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Let's get back to it then with Colette Dartford talking about her new novel, The Mortification of Grace Wheeler. In this part, we talk about how much research that she did. In this part, we talk about how much research she did about the best route for this novel to get into the market. Also, we talk about why she's actually telling the story. Is it just to explore characters or is there something more? And we pick things up talking about how when she gets into writing a novel, she is deep 
into writing that novel? It's not that I'm not disciplined. I probably misrepresented that because actually I'm very disciplined. But when I'm into a novel, I'm quite obsessed. I'm quite obsessive. I don't want my head to come out of it. I can, I, and it makes me very antisocial. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm turning down friends who want me to meet for coffee or meet for a dog walk or my husband will come home from work and the first thing I say to him is, shh, you know, because I'm working kind of thing. And so I'm very aware that it takes me, you know, to quite an isolated place. Um, and so, yeah, and so I have to think, you know, in, in my in my week or in a normal weekend, have I got time to be really just inwardly focused on my writing or do I have other uh, demands on my time that mean that mean I don't in which case I probably would put it away for the weekend because I'd prefer not to even try to write than to not be able to because I've got too many distractions does that make sense at all yeah absolutely does I'm just very aware that you've you've got a novel to publish a certain date um so yeah like how for like you said that you are disciplined but maybe some things get in the way so how forced can you be sometimes at thinking I don't know it's two o'clock on a Sunday I know I need to get words done just to get this through so how good are you at just being like right I'm doing it now yeah well I think there are two things in that one is I'm very good at meeting deadlines and again that goes back to you know an academic and research background uh, but the second thing is, I don't send my novel off to the publisher or to the agent until I know it's it's pretty pretty well polished. So it's it's not that they've given me a timescale that I have to meet. I say, okay, here's my new novel, uh, and you know, and and what needs doing with it. So it, it's more that it's already sort of pretty much almost there by the time I send it out. Now for this new novel you've you're self-publishing it why having had two successful novels that have been published through uh quote normal publishers um what why would you uh, d- think now is the right time for you to figure out how to do this alone yeah so first of all if if i may i'm going to not take issue with but sort of you know just uh reflect on the terminology uh because um, there are many disruptors, as, as you know, in the, in the publishing world. So um, self-publishing per se has got, uh, you know, very, very many uh, sort of versions of it. And I've actually gone with a sort of a, a publishing services agency, um, which is made up of industry experts, and you work collaboratively with them to bring your book to the market and, and the people that I've worked with so far, and, and we've got to the point now of um, there are sort of art copies, advanced reader copies uh, being sent out by the, um, by the PR agency. Um, the, so the people that have worked on my book from the cover design worked for uh, two of the big five publishing companies, now freelance. Same with the, uh, editi- uh, the proofreading and the copy editing. And my experience has been that the standard is extremely high, at least as high as when I was with a traditional publishing house, at least as high. Um, and so, I, you know, I want to distinguish that from the, I'm making speech marks here with my fingers, self-publishing, 
where you can do a you know a KPD situation on Amazon and you've and you haven't asked any professional to look at your work you've just you know you've, you've just done it yourself and so the the difference in uh, the product the difference in quality is absolutely vast and so the the quality and the product that I'm bringing out with this with this book in in August is at least equal to um, if not, in my opinion, <laughs> slightly, uh, slightly better than than when I was uh, traditionally published with with one of the larger publishing houses. So, so, so I just wanted to make that point um, that you know that there are there are many routes to market now. I, I know that you know this, Dan, obviously because you're 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 the expert here. But just for the you know the, uh, there may be other reader uh, writers and readers who who are listening to this and. Uh, you know, and and the assumption would be, or perhaps the perception, which has been true in the past, is that you have the traditional publishing, which is the holy grail, the gold standard, um, every writer's dream, which is true. And then at the other end, you have self-published, which is, oh dear, you can't get published. And between that, there are many, many business models now. There are small presses, there are different, uh, there are hybrid agencies, um, you know, there are hybrid publishers that they'll take the, uh, they'll they'll pay and produce a book for you. You don't have to pay for that, but then you do give you get lower royalties and you give up perhaps give up your rights and so on and so forth. So I think for anyone who has got a book that they really feel very strongly about that they want other people to read, I would say first of all do your research. Because, because you know, there's there are a lot of options out there now. But to answer your question about why have I done this, um, so I was very fortunate. My agent negotiated me uh, a two book deal, and um, you know, I, it was a, a wonderful experience and a wonderful opportunity for which I will be eternally grateful. Um, I embraced that opportunity, and um, I went into I think with several assumptions. And so, you know, it was a steep, a very steep learning curve. So, uh, so things like timescale. So once your publisher has your book, it can take over a year, sometimes two years before that book is actually published. So it's a very, very long lead time. And I think we, we allude, I alluded to this before. So you can't really put that project behind you and start on your next book because you will be called on every few months or whatever it is to to do a round of copy edits or or to revisit something to do some to do proofreading and and so on and so forth so you're getting your head out of your new project and putting it well and truly back in the project that you submitted maybe a year ago so so there's that element and with the the sort of hybrid publishing agency model that I've chosen, it's a much, much quicker, uh, much more timely um, and responsive um, uh, sort of way of doing things. So from submitting my novel to my novel being published is four months. And and that just just works better for me, I think. Um, There's also the issue of creative control, because uh, very naively, I didn't realize that authors have little or no say over their book covers, how their book will look. And um, so i not wishing to be in any way critical, but I wouldn't have chosen my first two book covers. They wouldn't have been my choice. Uh, this, this book that's coming out in August, I'm 
delighted with my book cover. Um, I think it's more sophisticated. And also it is a better reflection of the book, the story, the characters um, itself. Um, Then there's the issue of marketing, because uh, when you get a book deal and you get an advance, my assumption, naively, was that it's in everyone's interest for my book to be promoted. But actually, um, a lot of books don't get allocated much marketing budget. Um, In fact, you know, quite a lot of books don't get a marketing budget. And when I realized that my first two books weren't going to get much of a a marketing budget, I decided to use part of my advance to outsource that function. Um, And so I use uh, a PR agency that specializes in the arts, particularly books, which is why I'm talking to you this morning, Dan. So they're obviously... Obviously, doing a really hey. good job here. Um, <laughs> well, then, so I don't know that much about, I, I guess, self-publishing and all of the different facets which you've just explained to us. So, um, I, I guess, if you as best as best you can, run us through it in the sense that how did you learn everything? So you've made the decision to not uh, go with the standard publisher the one that people dream of when they start writing as you've said and and you think okay i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna use this 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 different way of doing it because that's now very possible how have you figured it out and then also to go along with that you were talking about marketing budget well does that mean now that you've got to pay for everything that is happening now with the promotion of your book and the publication of your book and the printing of your book right so i had to pay for my own marketing with my first two books because the publisher didn't allocate uh, any marketing resource to, to my books, and that that happens to a lot of uh, a lot of authors. Which again, you see, I, that's why I started this by saying I went into it with a lot of assumptions, and a lot of my assumptions were were proved to be incorrect, to be shall we say overly optimistic. So so yes, I am paying for my marketing with my third book, but I paid for my marketing with my first and second book. So, you know, uh, and really every author, it's just a reality, every author, with very few exceptions, will, will you know, be responsible for, for, for marketing and promoting and uh, making people aware of their book, sort of for its discoverability. Uh, because, you know, the, the, there are so many books being published, it's such a crowded market. How do you make your, your book stand out from the crowd? Uh, you have to work very hard at that. And, and that doesn't matter. That doesn't make a difference whether you're traditionally published or not. Now, look, if you are a best-selling author or if you are a celebrity or so you already everyone already knows who you are or if you um, have got an astonishing debut, your publisher is going to get incredibly excited about that and is going to do a tremendous amount of work on your behalf. But most authors don't fall into those categories, and I certainly didn't. So I had to do it myself. And, you know, once I learned that, I thought, okay, well, you know, that's what you have to do. That's what I'm going to do. So there was that element. The creative control element was also quite important to me. Um, and and that has – I've been very pleased with with the, uh, the collaborative effort and effect of – of, of this book that's coming out now. But even, I mean, let's talk about for a moment pricing. So if you're, when you're traditionally published, your 
a publisher decides what price your book is going to sell at. Um, the, the, the sort of publishing services model, the hybrid model that I'm using at the moment, it, it's up to me what my book sells at. And just to give you an example of how that can very heavily impinge upon sales. So my first book, uh, Learning to Speak American, for very, very long periods of time, the Kindle was £4.99. Now, to me, that's very expensive for a Kindle. Um, and I know a lot of people won't pay that for a Kindle. They expect it to be one ninety nine, or sometimes, you know, if it's on promotion, 99 pence. Now, that's a very, very small amount of money for all the work that's gone into it. But what I found was that when my second book was on sort of promotion, Amazon were doing promotions, and it went down to 99 pence, the sales absolutely shot up. So... You know, it's kind of like taking, it's the idea of taking control and saying, okay, I will decide how much I want to spend, uh, charge for my book. And I will decide when I'm going to put it on promotion um, at a lower price. And then I will do the the sort of, um, you know, uh, social media and promotional stuff to let people know. And um, so it is about having having that element of control. And of course, then there's the issue of rights because when you sell your agent sells your manuscript, your book to a publishing house, you give up your rights, which is fair enough. I mean, that's you know that's the business model. I'm not suggesting that it's not a, a, a you know that it's a bad thing. It's, it simply is the way things are. But working um, with the agency that I'm working with, the public a publishing services agency, um, I don't give up the rights, and you know so. Who knows down the line how important that will be? Um, and, and if I look at some of the authors that have used the the agency um, that, that I'm using, they are best-selling authors. Um, so Amanda Prowse, uh, Mark Dawson, you know, I mean, million-selling authors. Um, and so you think, well, why for this book have they decided to go this route? Or do, do you see what I mean? It's kind of... Uh, you're asking me, having done traditional, why are you doing this? And and I suppose my answer is I'm trying it to see if I like it better, to see if it works better for me. Um, and it may be that it, it doesn't. So the next, my next book, I will, you know, ask my agent to see if if you know if we can go back to the traditional route. But I do think because there are industry disruptors, because there are many different options, because they are varying in quality. Um, and I've gone for, in my opinion, the, the highest quality in, in this business model. You know, um, if you ask me a year down the line, I'll be able to tell you whether it was worth it or not. <laughs> I did some research into all the various routes to market and I spoke to people. You know, I spoke to the the, peop- the, the people I send my early manuscripts to for feedback. I, I spoke to other people who'd been down different routes and said, you know, what was your experience? Was that good? And crucially, did you sell any books? Um, and, so, and and that goes to, to another point, actually, because some people, they, they don't want to sell lots of books or, or, they, or then that's not their primary goal. You know, I've spoken to people who've they've written a memoir, you know, they wanted to write about their life or they wanted to write about a significant issue in their life. So it's memoir, it's biography, and, and they're not going to have a writing career. They're not going to be producing a book every year or two. They just wanted this book out there. And so, you know, for those people, the sort of 
the self-publishing with a bit of hand-holding is, is a good way to go because you, you achieve your objective. You hold your book in your hand. Um, but for me, having been through the traditional model, I, I knew that I wanted the absolute best quality uh, of everything, you know, of how the book's going to look, how it's going to read. Um, you know, I, I wanted the sort of gold standard. But, of course, you have to pay for that. So, you know, that's... Uh, that, that's the other side of it. Well, let's talk about the third book then, The Mortification of Grace Wheeler. Just tell us about the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your mind, Colette. Yeah, that's a good question. I was reading uh, the paper, the newspaper one morning, and uh, there was a, and it was a sort of September um, where a lot of uh, young people have just left home to go to university for the first time. And there was a two-page spread about the empty nest and about giving advice to, uh, to couples. You know, if, you're, if you now have an empty nest after 18 years or 19 years, 20 years, whatever it is, of child rearing, it's, it's a real shock. And it's a, a very much a, going to change your relationship and, and, you know, going to change your day-to-day life. And there were sort of lots of pointers about uh, what to expect and how to, how to negotiate that, that, that change. And, of course, it happens to people very often in, in middle age when you're going through other changes anyway. And I thought, you know what, I'd, I'd quite like to write a story about that. So I did. So you've got that general idea for the story. What what comes next? Your your stories are character driven. How are you figuring out who this book is going to be about, and then what journey they'll go on? Yeah. So um, the the character of the title Grace, um, she's much. She's twenty three years younger than her husband. He's been married before and has another family. So though she doted on their only son, as soon as he's gone to university, they. You know, the husband is sort of, oh, job done, you know, last one. And, and she's just absolutely bereft. And, and she quickly realizes that without um, their son there, the sort of glue that holds them together, that really they don't have very much in common. For a start, there's this age difference. And she finds the marriage quite stale. Um, there's not much intimacy. And she just she just feels very dissatisfied, and she doesn't know where to go with that dissatisfaction. Um, and she's talking to friends and family, and they're saying, "Oh, it's just how you feel. You know, you'll get over it." Blah blah blah. But um, she finds herself increasingly isolated and lonely from her husband, and she drifts into um, an affair with someone who is much younger than her, very ill-advised but very exciting, and. Uh, you know, it ignites this midlife sexual awakening, uh, which makes her realize that she cannot stay with her, her husband, simply because if she does, it will be a life half lived. Uh, but then that's all I'm going to say, because uh, when the affair is discovered, there are, there are, there's a very high price to pay and she isn't the only one who pays it. I'll just take you back, as I say. So, so when you've decided that this, this, theme this topic is one you will explore that of em- the empty nesters and h- how do you get to the point and I, like this is quite hard to break down because it's often a decision that's just quickly made in your head but how are you getting to the point that this is what you're focusing on uh, of all the things i could talk about here i'm going to focus on a woman who is with a husband 23 years older than her how does that come to pass well i just i mean i 
I think the thing about your characters um, in, in any novel is, is you want to give them hurdles to overcome. You know, uh, an, an easy life is, is lovely, and, uh, but it's not that interesting to a reader. So you always want to put in things that are going to be an obstacle, something that, you know, is a potential for, uh, for conflict, uh, dissatisfaction and so on. So I wanted to create not only this sort of bereft um, middle, middle-aged woman, she's only 45 actually, so, you know, not very far into middle age, missing her only child, but also, in a way, her husband's smugness. Uh, oh well, that's four of them. I've, you know, I've I've managed to sort of get off hand now because he had three daughters by a previous marriage, and it and it sort of created a rift between them because, whereas he felt, oh, you know, Josh has gone to university, he's going to do great, and isn't it great now? We can do X, Y, and Z. He doesn't understand that she's lonely, that she's missing him, that she fears for the future, and so they. They drift apart. They have this disconnect, and within and the space that that within that disconnect, the space that that creates between them, that is where a third party uh, comes in and and seems to offer um, comfort and intimacy and excitement and sex. So um, you know, in fact, the affair is very short lived, but the consequences um, you know are forever why are you telling this story is it for your own purposes to try and explore the characters is it so the a, a, a reader takes something away about empty nesters and the uh, an excitement at a late, latter stage of life i don't know i mean why i think writers tell stories because they love to tell stories i mean and it, it, you know that's that's the bottom line if if you don't want to tell a story then you're probably not a writer or you probably shouldn't be a writer and um and I think my, all my books have had a similar theme in that I tend to write about um, long marriages. So, um, you know, couples that have been together for a long time because I think there are, relationships change over time and marriages change over time because people change over time. And I suppose in the spirit of full disclosure, I, just, I should say I've been married forever. So... Um, you know, I just think that's quite interesting. And when I do the analytics on my my readers, they tend to be women over 40. So the things that I'm writing about are things that, that can resonate with them. Um, and in fact, I was reading something the other day, I think it was in the bookseller, which had done some, they'd done some research. And um, the, 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 the biggest sort of group of readers in the UK are women over 45, which is good for me because if I can reach those women, then, you know, they, they would be my, hopefully my obvious demographic. Um, so, but, but I just like telling stories and I like to explore the, you know, the what ifs, what if you did this? And, and I think one of the things about that is when you're making your reader, your, your characters do things that your readers might disapprove of, you still have to make try to make the reader understand and empathize or sympathize with them. So um, in my first book, the, the husband um, used to occasionally use escorts. And of course, m- most women particularly would, would view that very unfavorably. He was a married man and had a beautiful wife. You know, why is he behaving in this way? So my job as a writer was to... Inf- 
say, you know, try and explain or why he was ex- um, behaving in this way and try to create some sort of uh, sympathy or understanding for him. So I think that's the thing. And when you create a character, they, they need to be multifaceted. But, you know, the good and bad in them has to be something that people can, can try to relate to. And that is it for this week's episode with Colette Dartford. The new novel, The Mortification of Grace Wheeler, is out in August. Pre-orders are available now. If you've enjoyed the chat, I really recommend you sign yourself up for a copy. Someone taking a brilliant choice to get into self-publishing. You can support that. Pre-order the copy now. Give Colette Dartford a search online. Now, we are back with another episode in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Make sure you are subscribed, you're following the podcast wherever you normally listen to your shows. That way, the next episode in a couple of weeks will automatically uh, download into your feed. And in the meantime, you can support us, patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. You can get in touch at writersroutine.com and you can give us a follow on Twitter. We are at writerspod there. Until next time, I will see you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.